0: welcome to drawing the line i'm your host steven zapata i was spurred to record this first episode of the podcast after a conversation with my old friend joseph marziliano who sculpts we were hanging out one night everything was normal until it wasn't things took a very dark turn joe started threatening to squish my head you know the thing that kids do where they take their forefinger and their thumb and they put them around your head from far away and then they have you there. There's like there's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you can go. Uh, you're at their mercy. Joe did that to me, and he had a demand. He asked me what the last secret in art was. What was the big secret at the end of art? And I don't know if it was just the high stakes of the situation or the reality of my impending doom, but I was surprised to find that I had an answer. I told Joe, The last secret in art is that you never figure out how you do it. And right away for Joe, it rang true. He knew it was true. And he explained to me how it was clear to him through his experience already that that was indeed the case. And then he took it a step further and he asked me, why is it that way though? And that's sort of a laster than last secret because it's a secret about life. It's that your whole life is that way. And he also saw that that was true immediately. So in that moment, we put the whole path of art into the perfect circle. It is the end at the beginning. That interaction with my good friend sort of contains my entire artistic metaphysic. And in seeing that that is the reality at the end of art, that whatever else is going on, however good you've gotten, whatever achievements you've gained, whatever mastery you have attained, you still don't quite know how you do it moment to moment. That being the fact at the end of art reveals it for what it is. It's one of the high mysteries. It's inherently mysterious. If you're never going to find out exactly how it is that you do it, it's a mystery. Now, this is not to be overlooked This is not something to just be noted and then forgotten about. This is not just some quirky truth to be realized about art. No, this is something to be lived from, or at least that's my opinion. That's my thesis. The path of art is the path of the controlled accident. It is a long journey that you're going to take where you are going to feel and think that you are doing things and in total control of things. And you're going to have eureka moments where you think, ah, I finally got it. And then upon closer inspection, you're going to realize that all of this is sand through the fingers. You can't grasp onto this. It was never as solid as you thought. And things that work one day won't work the next. Things that you thought we were going to be with you forever, one day you'll wake up and you realize you're not into it anymore, and you're going to go in this way and that way, veer left, veer right, go up, go down, every which way. And that's the way it should be, with a complete art, with a high mystery, with one of the old esotericas. That is the nature of art, that's the nature of drawing, painting, all artistic practices and it puts them in the hallowed halls with all other contemplative practices it's right up there with meditation and all of the wackiness people experience on psychedelics so what does it mean to be on a path when the end result of this path is that you never really figure out where you were how you got where you were going that it's all inherently mysterious what does it mean then to be on the path well i think of it in four stages, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and master. But the key here is to not think of these stages in the way people traditionally do. It's not about what's on the paper. The way that I think about them really has very little to do with how quote-unquote good your drawing is on the paper. The way that I think of the stages of the path of art is experiential. It's about how you feel while you work. Really, I think that's all you can actually grasp onto because your opinions about your art change day to day. Your goals with your art change day to day. And other people's opinions of your art change day to day. So if you externalize the path to the results that come out on the paper, there's only so solid that understanding can get. On the other hand, if you look at it experientially, if you look at it as how you feel in your art practice on any given day, that's going to wind up squaring more with reality. You can feel like a beginner one day and a master the next, and then back to beginner the day after that, because there's no real plateauing and there is no true solid achievement, right? And that may sound sort of depressing or negative. No, 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 no. I think it's actually much more inclusive and a little more honest to how things feel day to day as a practicing artist, because no one, even someone who's been practicing for years and years and years and years and has a career and is an experienced professional, they don't necessarily feel that way every day, right? Let's say that they have to feel that they are an advanced artist, right? There's very few advanced artists who feel advanced every day. When they encounter a new problem, when they come upon an obstacle, they feel like a beginner again. And when they're struggling with that problem but getting some results, they feel intermediate again. And then when they're in their comfort zones and doing stuff that they really have a grip on, they feel advanced again. But it changes. It changes. Hopefully, as an artist, you're not doing the same thing all the time, every day, over and over and over again. Hopefully, things change. If it was always the same thing over and over again, you wouldn't do it. You'd be horribly bored by it. It'd be as if it had already happened. Let's take a look at the steps real quick. Let's just blast through these. The beginner. The beginner is marked by a lack of fundamentals. Now, everyone lacks fundamentals here and there. An advanced artist doesn't necessarily have a grip on everything that we traditionally consider to be the fundamentals. But the beginner has a weak enough grasp of them that they prevent him from pursuing his ideas. That's really what marks the beginner. So if you're a beginner, you have plenty of ambitious ideas. They sort of are what put you on this path of wanting to be an artist. Let's say that you have an idea for a comic book that you want to make or a video game that you want to design or something like that. You have this big ambitious idea, but you just know that the skills that you have ...are not going to be enough to present that idea in a way that's going to communicate it effectively to the audience that you want. You already know that. So instead of pursuing it, you see things in your idea that you need to work on, and you pluck one out, and you work on them in a fundamental capacity. So if for the project that you have in mind, the dream ambitions that you have, you need a good grasp of perspective, you go and you draw cubes. And you do fundamental exercises. And every now and then as a beginner, you may do personal work that is not necessarily just a study or an exercise. You may still do just creative, imaginative work, but it's not the full extent of your ambition. It's not that comic that you want to make. It's just a standalone piece, something like that. The intermediate stage is reached when you have integrated some of those fundamentals. So you've started to get a grip on your perspective, for example. And then you start doing imaginative work that is not necessarily the most graceful. It's not necessarily the most virtuistic way to do that idea. But now you can grapple your way through it, right? You're not totally in the dark. And even if you hit a big roadblock, you can find references and resources that will help you get through the roadblock. So you will eventually be able to communicate your idea. It's just not very easy. It's a lot of conscious hard work. And it doesn't necessarily come out super graceful. You know, people can kind of tell you sweated over it. Now the thing is that in this stage, you can actually have a lot of chops, right? You can have you can be a pretty skilled artist and you might have been drawing for years and years at this point. But it depends on your ambitions. So if your ambitions are very big, even with years of mileage under your belt. You might still be an intermediate in relative regards to the scope of your ambitions. You enter into the advanced stage once your ambitions are in line with the skills that you have developed. So you've integrated enough of your fundamentals, you've integrated enough aspects of your practice that you are finally tackling your big project. Now, notice that the way that I'm putting this allows for a little bit of a strange situation where on any given day, right, even as a beginner, let's say you've only been drawing for a week, right, you could get fed up and go for your big project, right? You can start drawing the comic, you can start making the video game. Even if you've only been practicing for a week, you don't have a grip on your fundamentals, you're still a baby at this. You can still go. For your big ambitious project right so does that mean that that's not allowed or that you shouldn't be doing that no the way i look at it on that day the day that you have the gusto for it right the day that you have it in you to go for that big project you are advanced the trick here is that you have taste after you've given it the old college try, you're going to look at what you did. And if you have any taste at all, if you have benchmarks of artists that you like and projects that you've enjoyed, in a couple days, you're going to probably get dragged back into the beginner mindset because you're not an idiot. You're going to see that it's not good enough. It's going to not align with your taste. there is the Dunning-Kruger effect. You might wind up in a longer phase where you can't even tell that your stuff is really that bad. If we table The Dunning-Kruger effect, the idea that you are so lacking in skill that you can't even tell how bad your art is, right? If we just table that, if we assume an artist who has enough acuity of vision that they can sort of realistically place themselves in some imagined hierarchy of skill, the experiential stages of this way of looking at the path of art sort of prevent any imagined egotistical ladder of progression that is solid and that there's no backward steps or anything like that like none of that is real right like however your practice has gone in the past that doesn't guarantee future results it doesn't dictate that you're always going to have perfect days because you've ascended to such and such level like anyone who's been doing this for long enough knows that that's just not the case You know, you wind up falling all the way back down into the valleys and on certain days you're up on the peaks. So the experiential model is about how you feel day to day. So I think that more accurately squares with what a real art practice feels like because I have plenty of mornings where I feel like a beginner and then afternoons where I'm definitely intermediate and then back to beginner after the afternoon slump and then maybe feeling advanced in the evening and then back to beginner by the end of the day, and then it's time to sort of wipe my hands clean of it and go take a break. That's just how it goes on a micro level and a macro level. And it's all about your ambitions and how you can take them. So I can have a very ambitious, let's say advanced scope project, and then do beginner style studies leading me towards that advanced project not just on the scale of my entire path of art, but also in a week, in a couple of days, working on a project for a client, anything like that. Now, those three stages encapsulate the experiential elements that have to do with your project and your skill level and how you experience the work that's coming out on the page. But there's... One more stage left. There is the fourth stage on the path of art, and that's master. But the stage of mastery, the way that I think of it, is more like a, a theoretical. It's a useful hypothetical. I think that most artists, even the ones at the top of their game, spend most of their time in the advanced stage. So however big their ambition, however big their dream They know how to trust themselves to find some way to do it, and they do it. And they can edit their ambitions without losing energy. They make careful choices that add energy to their practice. And they can use the skills that they've integrated through practice rather easily. It's very easeful for them. That, I don't think, changes for the master. That sort of already encapsulates what using your skills feels like. I think the hypothetical further level of mastery is more that those abilities and the feeling of what it's like to create goes a step beyond. Now it's not just about how you execute on the page. Now you've been doing this long enough that it's bleeding into everything. It's becoming every part. Of your life. The master, as cliche as this sounds, would sort of live and breathe art, right? And I, whatever you think that is when I say it, it's probably not actually true for anyone. So it's more like a hypothetical that we can create with language and syntax, right? I don't think anyone's living that way, but it's a useful framework for us to analyze what we're going through in the other stages. What's interesting is that I, I hate to sound weird or crazy, but I know I just said that this is purely hypothetical, but like the other stages, I do think that you can, you can feel this way. It's just that it, it wouldn't be permanent. Right. And I think even a beginner someone who's only been drawing for a week or two weeks or a month, whatever, just someone right at the beginning of the journey, they can have moments where they feel like a master. And I would say that those moments are moments where everything has come together and you really understand some improvement or progress that you've made. And then that gives you a lot of energy. I mean, I think if you've been doing this for a while, you've definitely... I, at least I hope you've had days where a drawing goes well enough or felt good enough while you did it, irregardless of what's on the paper, that when you get up, you feel great, man. You have a ton of energy. You feel like you can take on the world. It's like a, like a weird ecstatic feeling. You just every, It aligns everything for you in your life. And you sort of get this feeling that if you could handle this, if you could make this work, you can handle anything. You know, you can have that conversation with that family member. You can do that thing for someone that you love. You can overcome this other obstacle that has nothing to do with art because you see clearly for a moment, and this vision isn't always clear, mm-hmm. that those same principles that you needed to understand and execute to make this drawing work really do apply to everything. So that's it baby, that's what you want. You want art to be your life. You want your life to be art. You want everything just mixing into everything else. Mm, just an undifferentiated, glowing, prickly, tasty, languid, beautiful soup of art making and feeling good and joy. It's not always like that. The truth is that it's not always like that. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And god damn it, that feeling is worth going for. But it's just not always like that. And that's why. To me, these stages, it's very important to understand that you're one thing one day and you're another thing the next. I know for me, there's most of the time I feel intermediate, you know, some days I'm a total beginner all all over again. Some days I'm less than a beginner, haven't even started. And in fact, I don't start. I'm like, it's not going to fucking pan out today. And I go do something else. Other days you get lucky. You feel advanced. You feel oh yeah no I, I got this this is fine it doesn't matter how big the job is no matter how big the task no matter how big the ambition how scary the dream oh can be done it all seems so clear it's not really as confusing as you thought it was a lot of the time and then every now and then every now and then not often not a lot every now and then you get to feel like a master and again it's nothing to do with how good the drawing looks on the paper. All right? You need to get that out of your head. It's not really about that. And that was never what it was about. It's about how you feel. You only need maybe even just one time in your life to feel, not believe intellectually, but feel that drawing saved your life. You're a master forever. It's done. The whole effort is vindicated. The entire endeavor is right there. So perfect. So clean. Everything else kind of unnecessary. You could drop dead right then and there. You only need that every now and then. You only need that every once in a while. It's a great way to start over. It'll rejuvenate you. Give you a kick in the ass. Change everything. That's a good thing. But I hope that looking at these stages this way can... Help some people who are near the beginning sort of get out of the brow-beaten, vicious cycle kind of a loop that I see a lot of artists getting into online. You know, you're allowed to feel like a beginner. Know truthfully that even after 20, 30, 40 years of this, there will still be days where you feel like a beginner. You might go every day feeling like you're a beginner. And know that you are also allowed to, in the middle of this time that you know you are supposed to feel like a beginner, where you suck, where you don't have the chops yet, you are allowed to have days where you feel advanced. Guess what? Even if you don't have the fundamental skills, if you woke up one day and you didn't have a lot of ruminating thought, you weren't getting in your own fucking way and you had this big idea and you just sat down and you pulled the references and you made the little plan and you executed on something that got your idea out in a way that you felt was just fine, even if only for a few minutes, you were advanced that day. Even if you wake up the next day and you're like, ooh, that was crap, and you really put it back into the context of your long-term practice and see that it's really not good and you really got a far way to go, guess what? You're still advanced. Still advanced. You still experienced the conception, execution, and ending of that piece of art in the same way that any advanced practitioner does. On that day, you got to be advanced. And further down the line, after years and years of practice, you're going to get to feel advanced much more often. And that's a worthy goal. Worthy goal to get to. I wonder how many artists feel like masters on most days. How many really feel at the absolute bleeding edge of what's possible in art. I wonder if there's any who feel that more than once a year or something like that. Maybe once in a lifetime. I wonder. Is there anyone who feels that way all week? Could it be? I wonder. If you want to get there, if you want to drive all the horses at once, if you want to simmer at that slow boil of artistic ability and just have any idea that occurs to you be another popping bubble in that art stew, you need a lot of energy. You're going to need a lot Of energy over the years to stick to it and practice and go through every kind of iteration and you know reach peaks of ability only to realize that you need to go back down into a valley of the art mountain range to find some skill that you missed and then wallow down there for weeks making art that is just not as good as your art usually is just so that you can add on this one thing you're gonna have to get used to that you're gonna have to be comfortable being in the valleys and being in the peaks, and you're going to have to wander like a yogi in those artistic Himalayas for years and years and years if you ever want to be a master, I would imagine. So how do you get that energy? Well, if I'm realistic with you, I don't think hunger for status is going to do it. It's not going to last long enough to keep you motivated. Hunger for money is not going to last long enough. Even hunger for particular achievements of project is not going to be enough to get you through that. I think what you need really, really, is that you need to see art, see drawing as your road to awe. You need to have a very deep connection with your art practice and it needs to It needs to be your gateway to what's mysterious in your life. It can't be something that you know. That's where we started this podcast. To me, that's the final secret in art. That's the last thing. That's the thing no one wants to talk about. That's the high esoterica of art. No matter how good you get, no matter how many fucking years, you never quite know how you do it. You never know. It's always going to be a mystery to you. And any idea that it isn't is just self-deception. And any teacher who tells you that that's not true is a liar, is a liar. They're only deceiving themselves and by proxy they're deceiving you. You don't know, you don't know how you do it. It's even worse than that, actually. It's when you're bad at it that you know it the most, right? You're conceptualizing everything. And it's when you're good at it that you don't know it the most when you're good at it, that it is the most mysterious. I'm not saying that technical knowledge is a lie. I'm not saying that the transference of technical knowledge is a lie. Obviously, you can teach people how to use line, form, value, color, everything. You can teach the principles of design. You can teach all of it. And it's not a lie, the forms in which it's taught. The lie is the idea that those tools are going to be experientially, consciously used by you while you make your work, while you're operating on a high level. Never. Never. They occasionally insert themselves during interludes. You know, you could take a pause, recognize that there's a problem in a piece, and perhaps you briefly conceptualize it, try to figure it out. But always in the actual moments when the pencil touches the paper during the actual execution it's very rare that those thoughts are flitting around in your head so the connection between those thoughts and the actual execution i think is more sophisticated more complicated than we tend to think like so many things in life it seems the conscious part of you the part that is aware seems to be the last one to know What's going on with those things? Yeah, and your hand's already doing it. Whatever part of your mind needed to think these things, already thought them. Let me let me get more clear here, because I know I know I'm probably losing some people on this, but this is this is the gate right here. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? It's difficult for me to express these ideas about art just bluntly, straightforward. Because I acknowledge that there is nowhere to draw the line. There is nowhere to make the barrier between art and life. So I, resi- I hesitate to put my real thoughts on these things uh, forward so directly because it's very cl- it'll be very clear to anyone that these things must also be true about everything in life, and they're not things most people want to hear. But um, to be very clear... I don't believe in free will I don't believe there is a separate self I don't believe that we are the authors of what we're doing in any absolute sense I don't believe that as an artist you are authoring your art in the way we traditionally think I think that art is spiritual. Note that I did not say religious. Note that I did not say religious. We're not talking about God or Jesus here. This is different than that. We're talking about the spirit. That which is not material, that which is not known, right? Anything that could be directly known, that could be directly grasped, that is not falling within my definition of the spiritual here. But drawing is one of many gateways to these mysteries in life. It certainly has been for me. It deals directly with them. It gives you a tool, if you're aware, if you're aware while you're doing it, it gives you a tool to experience and interface with the mysteries directly. Directly. What an amazing thing. What a strange thing. Get it out of your head that I'm talking about anything religious here. When you hear me say something like, you know, there's no free will, don't, don't, don't exaggerate my statement and take it to a realm of, oh, God, a man in the sky is driving all of this. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything religious. We're talking about oh, the ground floor of the way things run. How to put this? You don't decide what comes into your mind the conscious part of your mind, the part of you that is aware that you are aware, you don't decide that in any absolute sense. Really, you don't decide that in any sense. If you need to prove this to yourself, just sit with your eyes closed and watch your thoughts for five minutes. You'll see that things, just anything, floats in and out willy-nilly without asking your fucking permission first. It just comes, it just comes. could be anything you can try to choose to only focus on one thing, a particular thought or your breath or anything like that. And you won't be able to focus on it for more than five seconds before you are interrupted by some other obtrusive thought. And the more you resist, the more heavily you are buffeted by distractions, things that you have to do, things people said to you, just random things, things that don't mean anything, like just jokes that you heard, utter nonsense. It'll all just come flying in, flying in the more that you resist. Your thoughts, which are the conceptualized meta versions of your experience, they aren't chosen by you in any way. Now, a lot of people, everyone can acknowledge that this is true when you sit there and meditate right when you sit there and just look at your thoughts everyone can acknowledge oh yeah i can't make the thoughts stop i can't just focus on one thing it's hard but then we just pretend that that would only be true then we don't live <laughs> we don't live or believe the things that are obviously true if that is the case right so we got we got to go a little further with that if any thoughts that present themselves to you are not chosen by you in any direct way not even our emotions are under our control our thought streams are not under our control we give a privileged position to positive feelings and positive volitional actions we give them a privileged feeling we we say that those really are us right when we when we stick to our diet when we resist Taking the extra slice of pizza, that positive volitional action, we say, Oh, that's me. Look at me. I was good. I was good. Yeah, yeah, I'm very good. I'm sticking to my diet. And then we unfairly condemn the subjectively negative volitional actions. So when you cave and you don't stick to your diet, you're like, oh, I don't know what came over me. Uh, you know, uh, that wasn't really me. That's not what I wanted. I don't know why I do that. It, it gets caught up in this weird space where you know that was you. But it was some part of you that was not under your control. And you, you quickly set up an adversarial mindset about those things. But the truth is that it was all out of your control. The positive and the negative. You can't account in any way for how it was that you were able this one time to resist taking the slice of pizza and the other time you weren't able to resist If you could account for it in any complete way, if you understood it at all, you would just always resist the extra slice. It wouldn't be a problem. You have no fucking idea. You have no fucking idea about any of this. Like I said at the beginning, you don't know how you do anything in this life. It is all intrinsically mysterious. You don't need to go out to God or space or black holes or the multiverse or the... Super massive black holes at the middle of galaxies. You don't need to go all the way out there to find the mysteries. They're right here, right on the surface. They're there every time you do something. Those are the great mysteries. Now, art makes this all very clear if you pay attention while you draw. Painfully clear. You know, you sit, you start drawing, making some lines. You don't know how you do this exactly. You can't explain how your hand moves in rhythm with your thoughts. You can't explain how it is that your mind sees a particular lucky line and knows that it's lucky, knows that it's good, subjectively experiences it as good. You don't know how it is that your mind sees another line and thinks that it's bad. How's it making that judgment? How does it know? It's not just that it's comparing it to other lines that you've seen, maybe a little bit, but how is it really mapping that decision and also if you've looked at plenty of really great art if you're at any level below that you know that there is some theoretical higher state of acuity that would allow you to see more negative aspects and more of your lines that you could then correct and just turn into a vicious feedback loop and become an absolute master but that doesn't happen how is your mind choosing what level of quality to gather from its references and benchmarks to then apply to your current level very quickly we get into a quagmire of impossible things to answer right but these are all obviously true dilemmas now we never talk about them as artists because they're they're so obvious so clear so on the surface and their quest their answer is so counterintuitive they don't exactly make for great studio conversation. But the uncomfortable truth, the simplest answer to these things is that you have no idea and that all of this is kind of running without much of your input. It's more likely that you're actually just the privileged witness of all of this going on and that you are creating mental frameworks, that is to say, you're extending a particular hospitality to certain streams of thought that self-reference an implied center that is you, that is also giving you credit for authoring these things that are happening. Even though everything that you're doing is preconditioned by things that you've seen and done before, I mean, why do you love doing art? You know, some, some positive reinforcement from your parents, from your peer group, uh, just enjoying the feeling of being able to make your own world and being able to do whatever you want just uh, wanting to have a deep connection with the nature of aesthetics after seeing beautiful paintings or drawings that others have done, those are the conditioning factors. Those really somewhere deep down must have affected you early on and probably are still part of your journey. So where are you authoring this art urge from? It really is intrinsically, deeply tied up with those outside things. And sure, it's getting filtered through this little nook in your personality that likes those things. But did you choose that nook? If you did, why don't you choose some other nooks that also wind up with you having six-pack abs, being incredibly erudite, you know, reading 300 books a year. Like, pick all the best nooks, you know? (laughs) Your personality is not completely under your control. Comes down to hidden and implicit interests. Really, that's so much of it comes down to that. You notice the things that you're interested in and you don't notice the things that you're not. It's like that famous uh, experiment that has the famous YouTube video online where you're supposed to count the black-shirted team and the white-shirted team passing the basketball to each other as they all dance around. And you're so busy counting that you don't notice the man in the gorilla suit walking right through the middle. We all love that video. We've all seen that one. It's been proven in other ways in other experiments, but you know, you don't see what you're not looking for. You don't see what you're not interested in. It's not a hidden man in a gorilla suit. He's quite obvious in that video. And we all just take that as a funny little thing, fun video to watch, fun experiment to run, weird thing to repost. What if you what if you lived by that? What if you actually took that true? What if you actually settled into what that means for you? You only see the things you're interested in. What does that mean for what's good and bad? For what's useful? Does those really matter to your mind? To the part of your mind that's under the part that is self-aware? Not really, not really, friend. Good and bad don't really matter to that. There's only what it's hopelessly interested in. And you don't really have a lot of say in that, do you? No. I mean, you see that all over the place. thats That seems to be a, a core foundation of our adversarial mindset towards our willpower. You're hopelessly interested in art. That's why you're doing it now. Now, you might not be hopelessly interested in it forever. Well, that would get kind of boring, wouldn't it? It's not really up to you. You don't get to decide where your interest lies. You don't get to decide what you like or what you don't like, what you're interested in and what you're not interested in. If that were the case, you would just choose to enjoy all music, right? But you only like certain types. It would obviously be better to like all types of music equally. Everywhere you go, every song you hear, oh, you love it, that's your favorite song. I mean, it's not like that. The bigger question that I want to raise is, if you're not really choosing to choose any of this, if you're hopelessly interested in doing art the way that you want to do it, isn't that something? What a gift this art is. What the fuck is going on here? Wouldn't that mean that every time you turn to a piece of paper, you're taking a couple more steps on this journey through a dark forest? Are you not treading paths by moonlight that none other would tread, that none other could tread? Who knows where you'll end up? Will you be behind the pearly gates in the joy of ecstatic bliss and the hallowed halls of art? Will you be forever lashed to the lake of fire in the pools of art angst? Who knows where you might end up? It could be anything. How exciting, how extreme. I think so, at least. There's a lot of energy there in seeing that it's not just about your end goals. In seeing that there's every opportunity every time you sit down and draw to find out something about yourself. That's what's happening every time. That really is what's happening every time. If I sat you down, I bet you could tell me what your next drawing is going to be. I bet some of you could tell me what your next five drawings are going to be. But hardly any of you could realistically tell me what your next ten drawings are going to be. Even if you only draw neck-up portraits, I bet you couldn't tell me what the features of those next 10 faces are going to be. There's no fucking way. Even if you could, you'd totally be wrong. You'd veer wildly off-path after your third drawing. That's because every moment, every time you do art, you're finding out something about yourself. And not in a pastiche, cliche way. I mean that as deeply as possible. There's information there, real weird information about what you are hopelessly interested in. There's something very mysterious there. You're finding out a lot. That's what allows art to open up as a road to awe. And it can be an incredible mirror for the world outside and inside. I mean, he'll go absolutely crazy if every time you set up to draw, you take a moment, just a couple breaths to realize how incredibly unlikely it is that it's possible to draw. How highly improbable. It's not just improbable. God, it feels impossible if you think about it for too long. My God. I mean, that you can, that things hold together in such a way in this universe that you can put marks down on paper and with just some amount of deft skill, you can put the idea of something in someone else's head, into their experience. It doesn't even have to be a particularly good nose or whatever to make another person think nose. And then we get caught up with everything that comes after that. We say, good nose, bad nose, skillful nose, unskillful nose. Who fucking cares? Nose, nose, ear, eye, face, vase. I drew this with dust on paper and honestly barely worked at it. And look, you can't help it. You look at it now and it's an ear. It's an eye. It's hair. It's a person. It's your mother. It's your brother. It's your dog. It's like the whole, it could be anything in the universe. That's the fucking scary thing. That's what happens then when you take it out of the realm of drawing what's in front of you, right? It's already weird enough that if your friend came in and there's a real vase right there on the table, and then they look at your paper with a vase on it, they go vase. Even though it's so clear that it's not the vase. There's the real vase right there, right? I know this is all super obvious. Give me a fucking second. The real vase is there still. Another person can look at your drawing and say that's the vase. In fact, it's the same vase. How is it that that's possible? How terribly unlikely? How terribly unlikely? How is it that it all holds together? Why were the rules of physics as such that that could happen, that that could work? What a beautiful thing. God, what are the odds? Now we go into the realm of drawing from imagination. Now things get deeply odd. Now things are really weird. Monster, creature, abstract, landscape that looks representational but never existed. Now this thing that you have inside, that you are quote-unquote maybe visualizing inside, we could talk about that for a long time, but that thing that you have inside, you put it down with no reference, not looking at anything else out in the world, just remixing things that are floating around. I want to resist saying inside because where's that? Things that are floating around that you've seen, you remix them and you produce this thing that never was and never will be and you show it to someone and they see it and they get it. And then forget the judgment. Forget whether it's good or bad, fuck it. How weird is it that they can look at it this thing that, it could be something that really has no analog, right? Like an abstract, like there's nothing else like that in the world. Or you could design an alien, right? You could draw a crazy alien. Just It doesn't look like an insect, like a crab, anything. It's just this weird, blah, just this nightmare, right? And they'll look at it and they'll get it. They'll see its shapes. They'll read into it. It'll have some form. They'll be like, mm, gross thing. They downplay it. We all downplay it, but my God, they've never seen anything like that. They've never seen anything like that. And they get it isn't it haunting that you have the potential for that inside and that also the audience on the other side has the same potential? They're as creative as you. You get what I'm saying? For however hard you work to create it, you could have slaved on it for hours, for days, months. When you give it to them, they recreate it in the moment, right there in a heartbeat, in a flash, in a flash. And they are now hopelessly betrothed to it. Now it would be so hard to make them unsee it the way that they have seen it. What is happening here? What is happening here? What is it? What is that? What is that? Ooh. You see how that calls into question all your barriers. Everything. Man, woman, race, language, ethnicity, nationality, where you're from, fuck it, this planet, wherever the fuck anything is going on, if that's possible, where are the barriers? Show them to me. Can you put your finger on it? I can't. Not anymore. I used to. Shit. There's something very strange going on. When you draw... Pay attention very clearly. You don't always have to. You don't always have to pay such close attention. But try it every now and then. Really feel everything that's going on. Open yourself up to the thoughts that are coming in and out of your head. Try to pay attention to where they're coming from and where they're going. The feelings. Your hand and your arm. Even the way your eyesight is changing while you draw? How often are you really tuned in to the nature of your vision while you draw? You ever been drawing and start daydreaming? Sometimes it's a very visual daydream. You're in another place completely, but your hand keeps drawing. And you're unaware of all of this until you snap back into it and sort of looking at your drawing again. Even though you've been looking at it. You've been looking at it. You just haven't been sighting it suddenly you're citing it again. You ask yourself, where was I now? Where was I? And our reaction to that often is, oh, I gotta focus, I gotta concentrate. But you're focused on everything. That's what's gonna happen anyway. All those things are still gonna happen. The whole process is still gonna run. The process is more complicated, has more things involved, then you are willing to allow it. I'll tell you where I am. Let me let me level with you about some stuff. Let me tell you how I experience some of these things. Maybe this will open up doors for some of you. And these are just words. You don't have to believe any of this. You'd be crazy not to. But you don't have to believe it. The art process for me is not just the things I would like to afford as being the art process. It's not sharpening my pencils. It's not making thumbnails. It's not turning the thumbnails into sketches. It's not turning the sketches into drawings. It's not turning the drawings into illustrations. It's not doing color fills, doing color thumbs. It's, it's that, those discrete parts of the art process, the stuff that's in tutorials. But as time has gone on, The experience has opened up. It's very clear to me now that it was never just that. The process is every part. It's those parts and it's all the parts in between. It's the distractions. It's the eating. It's the talking with friends. It's the petting your dog. It's the dancing. It's the fighting. It's the being sad. It's the being happy. It's the being confused. It's the being incredibly focused. It's in the feeling connected and then feeling completely disconnected. And all those things can happen at the drawing table or not, but they're all part of the process. There was never anywhere to draw the line. It was all one practice. It was all one movement. None of it entirely in your control. Some of it a lucky line that just occurs and then is interpreted as lucky. Some of it a crooked line that just occurs and then is interpreted as crooked. They get stitched together. Sometimes you don't know how they're being stitched, being interweaved while it's happening. And then you look back the next day, the next week, the next year, and you see, oh, r- really? Really? You know, that feels so much like what's going on now, and I didn't, I didn't know back then. It's like you're talking to yourself through time. You're always setting yourself up and tearing yourself down. You're always losing yourself and finding yourself. And if you zoom in just on one little part of your life, just like you zoom in on one little part of the drawing, the whole thing falls apart. And then you pull back to a different scale and the whole drawing your whole life holds together. And then if you look at the drawing framed on the wall is in the context of your room, the same way that you fit into a very particular context. It's your context that made you, that still makes you. Everything around you, all the people who love you, all the people who hate you, every good thing, every bad thing, is all eliciting a reaction from you. Can you see that? Everything is drawing you out. Everything that's happening is drawing you out. It's drawing you into existence. It's inviting you to interact, to judge, to play, to get angry, to get sad. It's all drawing you out. With the drawing, it's all so clear. You don't know why you threw that line. If I stopped you in the middle of any line, right at the end of a, of a line that you threw, you could never explain to me exactly how you decided that line. You could never put into the words, well, my flexor muscles flexed in this arrangement for 0.2 milliseconds and then were quickly compensated for by a flexing of my extensor muscles for 0.4 seconds. of All of that happening in the form, and then now let's describe what was happening in my deltoid to allow the line to curve in this direction. You could never fucking do that. All of that stuff is just done effortlessly. It's all run by you. No problem. Oh, less than no problem. Joyfully. Free from interruption. You can never explain it. You can never explain it to me or anyone else who stops you in the middle of the process. But it all runs. And then after you throw the line every now and then, not by choice of you, your brain clicks in and goes, oh, that wasn't very good. Oh, that wasn't very... That wasn't my best one. Oh, now that's nice. Obviously, if you could choose that, you would just, on days that you're depressed about your art process, choose to think it's all good because then that would give you energy. But you can't do that. You can't do that. Every line, every shape, every form, every flow, it's just drawing you out. And there's no resisting it. You're doing it hopelessly saying that's good, that's bad, that's nice, not so nice. And that's you. That dreams you into existence moment by moment. That then makes you like this kind of thing, not like that kind of thing. That differentiates you. But your differentiation is just coming from everything that's going on around you. You're drawing your whole life, that's That's your secret soul. It was never inside. Not hiding anywhere in the labyrinth of your mind. Where is that? You can't bring that out. You can't show me that. You can't put your finger on it. Anywhere. All of you is in the secret hospitality you extend to all of these things you're interested in. My God. There's no separate self hiding in the folds of your gray matter in some realm of your consciousness that you've never accessed. Why would you believe that? Who did you let tell you that was the case? Whose words did you believe All of you is happening right here, right now. It's all running perfectly. Nothing to add. Nothing secret hiding away. It's all right there on the surface. And that's the secret. It's just you. Even if you're drawing the most far out thing, it's just you. Being done, being run, by a process that you don't control in any absolute way. And yet there's the thing. Weird. Weird. For that to be possible, there can't be a separate self. It all has to be union. There has to be An empty space in the middle. Don't think empty in the negative way. Nothing negative. Think of emptiness more as open. Infinite potential. Something that is truly empty, something that is truly nothing, is the ultimate potentiate space for any possibility. That's clear on any blank sheet of paper. Anything could be on any blank sheet of paper. You could accidentally draw the vision from any corner of the universe. It's all within the potentiate space of that blank piece of paper. But it's not the paper doing it. It's you. So there has to be a deeply open part of you. That's what's at your implied center. Nothing. And that's possible because you don't have to control any of this. If you had to control any of it, if there really needed to be absolute free will, there'd have to be something there at the core. You get the best of both worlds. You get to feel like it's all free will when it's not. You get to have this open middle, completely fluid. That could be anything. So goddammit, you're always the perfect artist. I love artists. Gotten too many too many messages from other artists. Sad, browbeaten, depressed, disconnected. I've gotta say what I really think is true. That you can't draw the line. That it's all union. You're already the perfect artist. God damn. You're already doing it. Ooh, so well. So well. Think about how you dream. Quite refined. Form, acting, Lighting. So imaginative, so wide open, so ready to flow with anything. You do it every night, and you have to put work into it? Not at all. Not at all. What are you worried about these drawings for when you dream so well? I know this sounds again like it's going into the cliche. Fuck that. Take a second and really dive in on it. I know everybody dreams. So we tend to take for granted how profoundly strange it is that it's possible. You're still conscious through all of that. and We, we think of dreaming as unconscious, but you, you remember your dreams. You wake up and you remember what happened. You remember what order the things happened in, even if they're totally illogical, even if they are ordered in a way that would not make sense in our waking life. You remember the sights, the sounds. How are you unconscious? Your body was asleep. How were you unconscious if you remembered all that? Don't take that for granted. I know that's super obvious, too. Ob- so obvious that we don't think about it. Turns out the, the empty openness that is you, that is aware that it's aware, can abide in even those topsy-turvy impossible realms. Sometimes in those dreams, you're not you. Sometimes you're you in a very unusual situations. Other times you're not you. I had a dream that I was my mother. I was my dog. I was a peasant in France. Like, She could be fucking anything. And it's all continuous. It all holds together. Maybe it's illogical. Maybe it's irrational. Maybe some of it are non sequiturs. But you extend it all a very agreeable hospitality. Like, oh, yes, that happened. Huh. Nothing mundane about that. You do that every time you draw. You do that every time you draw. We just tend to talk ourselves out of it. We tell ourselves it's something else going on. You're the dreamer, man. You already are. You're doing it all the time. If you've been listening to this for an hour and 15 minutes, I'm guessing that you're <laughs> pretty tolerant of shit like this. So I'll give you a little exercise. You could try this out. Just uh, close your eyes. And sit however you're comfortable. And just be aware of the darkness that you see with your eyes closed. Then use the concentration that you've gained from years of trying to do this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You will you'll need some amount of concentration. That you probably need to build up, but this is totally possible, right? You don't need to take my word for it. Just try it. You know, it might not work the first time, but if you try it for a bit. I think you'd be surprised by the result. Just pay attention to the darkness behind your closed eyes. It's never quite dark. It's always shimmering, right? There's like movements, weird flows, little pinpricks of light. It's just—it's hard. It's so hard to describe, but it's not just pitch black, right? There's some weirdness going on back there. And whenever you get distracted by a thought, just come back to the darkness behind your closed eyes, and just. Try to keep looking at it and notice that even though your eyes are closed and there's nothing else to look at every now and then you'll realize you weren't looking at it you were looking at it, but you weren't citing it. It wasn't at the forefront of your attention. Just keep coming back to it. Keep coming back to it. Looking at the notice, the differences that are happening. Notice the changes Notice the little pinpricks dancing around, sort of floating around, and things getting brighter, things getting darker. And see what happens. I'll tell you what happens for me every now and then when I do this. And after, it's been a while, several years of, you know, meditating and just trying to concentrate on my breath and sensations in the body, just all basic mindfulness training, you'll find... If you can pay attention long enough with enough acuity, every now and then, your mind will get carried away by a linguistic thought. So you won't be noticing the darkness behind your eyes because you'll be thinking about something someone said to you. You just hear it as language. And you won't be noticing the darkness behind your eyes because you're feeling a feeling in your foot. And really, your whole consciousness is just down there. It's just in your foot. You don't notice the darkness behind your eyes anymore. And then every now and then you'll get that other kind of mental focus where you're in a visual memory or in a visual imagination. We've all had that. When you're daydreaming, you're not just thinking your daydream. You You see it. Sometimes you see it. You're like cutting a sandwich. And all of a sudden you snap back into cutting a sandwich. You realize, oh, I wasn't looking at me cutting the sandwich. I was imagining that girl that I saw get on the bus, or something like that. Every now and then, if you do this exercise, you'll tune in, you'll snap in, to the moment where that visual thought, that visual imagination, self-dissipates, and you go back to the darkness behind your eyes. You'll actually be aware as it self-dissipates. And guess what? This is the wacky part. You'll see it like a dream. But you're not asleep. You're not even really in that dozing off state that you're in sometimes when you're just rolling around in bed in the morning and you don't want to get up. You're wide awake. You just suddenly realize that every time you're carried away, that really is like a dream. There's very little difference. And it seems that visual component can happen anywhere, asleep or not. Again, like I said, you don't have to believe this. I don't care if you do or you don't. You could think I'm a liar. What I'm telling you is that if I sit there and try to focus on the darkness behind my closed eyes for 10, 15 minutes, every now and then, when I come back to that darkness after having been carried away by a visual imagination... I'll actually get a split second, maybe even a full second where that visual imagination is there, present, in my sight, in a very weird way, even though I'm fully awake. No drugs, no alcohol, nothing, nothing. Completely straight. Not having consumed anything for weeks, whatever, is irregardless of that. Now, why, why, is, why would that be so strange to accept? When that's what happens to you every time you go to bed. You go to bed, you close your eyes. Sometimes while you're trying to fall asleep, you're aware that you're looking at darkness, and then all of a sudden sleep overtakes you, and you're off somewhere else. Is it really so different? And I'll tell you, just like a dream, when I see that, when I see that for the split second behind my eyes, it is a chilling reminder that everything that I tell myself I'm struggling so hard to do in drawing... My mind knows how to do it just fine. Instantly. Same way that I snatch a ball out of the air. Same way that I take a breath. Same way that I green the grass and blue the sky, grow my hair. Same way that I know how to rot my teeth and do a dance. The same way that I know how to die and decompose. The same way that I knew how to be born. All without my effort. All without my input. Nothing needed, nothing gained. My mind just knows how to see. And between waking life and the dream, it knows not where to draw the line. Let's talk more about this soon.